Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 184. Today we have lots to talk about. I'm going to kick things off with two fabulous online resources that I really do think are gems. Two of you wrote in with your own advice, one on saving your genealogy from theft and another with a tip on digital preservation. So we'll be sharing those. And I found a really funny poem online that the author, a genealogist, gave me permission to share. And uh, you'll get a quick training session on an important type of genealogical record. And then Sunny's going to be here. She's going to join me to announce our next Genealogy Gems book club pick. And we may or may not digress a little bit to talk about some fun other things that are on our minds. All this and more awaits you. So sit back and relax, grab a cup of coffee or do whatever it is that you do while you listen to podcasts. And let's get started. Now, did you see the recent article on the Genealogy Gems websites about Ancestry's web indexes? These are free resources that anyone can access, and you don't have to be an Ancestry subscriber or even create a free login on the website to use them. So here's what they're all about. For the past couple of years, Ancestry has been re-indexing databases from other websites on their own website. And that's not stealing data or taking credit for data from other places. Everything is fully cited and points to the original sites. So Ancestry is extending the power of its ability to help users find their family history online, wherever it may be. They're taking advantage of the fact that it's already a place where people are looking and their sites powerful search tools. What I think is really cool about this is that you may have a better search experience in Ancestry than you would at the original website. You know, some websites that host databases or indexes, they don't offer very flexible search parameters. If you're searching for Elizabeth Madison, let's say, they may not recognize that Beth or Lizzie are acceptable search results or alternate spellings of her last name, but Ancestry does. Now, of course, a subscription to the original website where the data is held might be required to see any of the images or other content that's members only. But if there is data out there, I want to know about it, don't you? Then I can decide whether or not I want to pay to get access to it. Another bonus is that a lot of their big web indexes are from sites that are not in English. So this gives English speakers a portal to that data that's online in case they're intimidated by trying to search a site in another language or by applying Google Translate, which of course I do cover in my book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox. So anyway, I think it's just one more online tool using Ancestry to access data through their indexes through other websites, kind of applying their search engine to other websites on the web. That's what they're doing with these new web indexes. And just within the past few weeks, there have been a few new Ancestry web indexes. For example, the Danish immigration, and that's immigration with an E for people moving out of the country. More than 300,000 records from 1868 to 1908 have been indexed. 
and they have an Indiana marriage index from 1806 to 1861 with another 300,000 records. Montreal, Canada marriages and burials dating back to the 1760s. Alberta, Canada newspaper vital events index back to 1889. And births deaths, and marriages for Gallatin, Montana, back to the mid-1800s. Boy, I tell you, if, you're, if you've been waiting for Gallatin, Montana, they've got that too. <laughs> and I want to share a tip with you that didn't appear in the article that we posted about these new Ancestry web indexes on the Genealogy Gems website. Did you know that you can search for Ancestry web indexes by going to Ancestry's drop-down search menu? Then click on card catalog and do a title search for the word web. You will see lots of results that say web, followed by the name of the index. Just another helpful tip to get the most out of one of the world's biggest genealogy websites, whether you're a subscriber or not. And something else that we've uh, talked about on our blog is the new bomb site website. This is really interesting. We've probably all seen images from the World War II bombing of London in movies. You know, you see Londoners hunched in tube station tunnels during air raids in the imitation game. In the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Pavancy children are evacuated to the countryside to escape the Blitz. But for anyone who didn't experience it themselves or grow up in the shadow of those bombed out buildings, you know, we really don't get the Blitz when the Germans bombed London regularly for several months during World War II. Well, there's a new website and a mobile app that I have to recommend that really kind of helps give you a sense of what this was all about and reveals the Blitz in a really new way. It's called BombSight, and you'll find it at bombsight, S-I-G-H-T dot org. Think of it as data visualization. We've talked about that. So you're really going to see impact of the bombing during the Blitz. The core of this website is a digitized version of 559 bomb census maps that show where each and every bomb fell between July of 1940 and the following June. These maps were classified up until 1971 and were previously only available in their very fragile original condition in the British National Archives. Well, now you can explore all those neighborhoods and read about the individual bombs that devastated them. You can even see related historical images and read stories and memories. It's stunning to look closely at a neighborhood and see how densely the bombs fell. It's just incredible. It's also stunning to kind of pan out to the widest view and see so many dots representing these bombings. So many bombs, so much destruction. Take a few minutes. I highly recommend it. ExploreBombSite.org and you'll have a really a whole new appreciation for the bombings of London. And if by chance your ancestors lived through them, uh, it will give you a whole new perspective on that. Well, that's some of the news we've been talking about on the Genealogy Gems blog. And next, coming up in the mailbox, we are going to hear from you. That's next. From my old hometown, one with some jokes from my old pal Jimmy. 
him brown. Bring me a letter from that girl of mine, saying that he's longing for me all the time. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad, who knows that we are winning, and I bet he's glad for more than any other. Judy wrote to me um, after she attended one of my presentations, and she said, just wanted you to know that I took your advice and I started a blog on one of my cold cases. And I was teaching a class talking about how to apply criminal cold case strategies to your own genealogical brick walls. And certainly blogging is one of the things that I highly recommend in that presentation, talk about it as as a narrative tool, as a way to kind of identify some of the gaps in our research, but also as the ultimate message board, right? It's the Google cousin bait that we put out there and put to work for us so that people can find information about our research when they're doing their Google searches and hopefully make some connections and help each other. Well, she sent me the link to her new blog and it's called One Branch Then Another. And it's at onebranchthenanother.blogspot.com. And Judy says, I thoroughly enjoyed your sessions and feel my brain is bursting with information. I was talking to a genealogy librarian at Dallas Public Library this evening, and she said that they were trying to get you for a conference here. So I hope it works out. I will come again and bring my son. Well, I met Judy at the Fort Worth Genealogical Society here in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, yes, I I know we've been talking about to the Dallas group. And this is what I do on my weekends. I fly around the country and put on these full day seminars. We did four sessions that day. It was a great group over at Fort Worth Genealogical Society. And I love that Judy is bringing along the next generation. You know, she was talking about bringing her son. And I've had that happen where people say, oh, I brought my husband, you know, he's just going to kind of do his work and, you know, hang out with me while I'm doing the seminar. And then the husband ends up getting kind of involved and following the Google and trying the, the techniques we're talking about. And it's always really fun to kind of see their eyes light up, too. And that's really a good goal for all of us to replace ourselves as family historian or keeper of the family stories uh, with hopefully somebody else that we've identified in our family, like Judy's son or one of our grandkids or nieces or nephews, you know, kind of identifying who's going to carry on the torch and really make sure that there's a lasting legacy to the genealogy work that we do. So I took a look at Judy's blog and had a couple of ideas for her that maybe if you are trying your hand at genealogy blogging, you might want to think about these as well. Um, I really liked, as I was looking through her blog, that she had a great use of keywords and data. So even if it's not the most fascinating way to tell a story, sometimes when we're putting our content online, it's just really important to make sure you've included all the major keywords, the names, the places, the businesses, the keywords that people might be searching on that would lead them to your ancestor or your shared ancestor, right? And data, things like birth, death, and marriage, any kind of data, dates, information around your person, around these keywords, that's what makes your ancestor unique in the world. 
and unique in history. And it kind of plays into the idea of, you know, people say, oh, but I have a really common name for my ancestor. But that's okay, because when you put that collection of keywords and unique data around that common name, they're not common at all. They're a very unique individual in history. And that's what you're trying to convey on your blog, so that other people looking for that particular John Doe finds him, finds him through their Google search, and your blog and your website pops up. And also, I was really happy to see that Judy was using name spelling variations. So even though she has one way that she consistently spells a last name, she made sure that on her blog, she was showing all the different variations. And in combination with first names, because again, we don't know if somebody's going to be doing a Google search and putting the name John Doe together, and they're spelling Doe D-O-H, and somebody else is spelling it D-O-E. I mean, I, I don't know. But having the combinations of different variations out there on your blog, again, make it great cousin bait for Google. And I would love to see uh, on her blog kind of a next steps list. You know, she had a really neat little question list. At the end of her blog post, she kind of said, here's what I'm thinking of. Here's the questions that I have that are remaining, which I thought those were great steps to go through and to share with her readers. But I'd love to see it followed up with that next steps. Here are three concrete things that I'm going to do to answer those questions and really show the reader how she's going to break that down into bite-sized manageable pieces, which is something else we talked about in our cold case strategies class. So great job, Judy. And I hope that those suggestions help you continue to refine your blog as well as all the rest of you. I know there's a lot of you out there who are blogging and good for you. Now, I met Kathy from Carmel Valley, California, on the Legacy Genealogy Cruise this past June, which was so much fun. And afterward, Kathy sent me this note. She writes, Hi, Lisa. I hope all is well with you and your family. I'm still thinking about our lovely Caribbean cruise. I thought you might share a reminder with your listeners. My husband and I were out of town last week and were robbed. The robbers took only electronics, thank goodness, and did not mess up the house. Another thing to be thankful for. But your listeners cannot rely on external hard drives as backup. If the external hard drive is by the computer, the robbers will just take that as well. Thank goodness we had a web-based backup, so we did not lose our precious research or photographs. It could have been so much worse. This is just another reason why your listeners should look at Backblaze or another company that provides the same service. I'm grateful that I did. Yes, we have to purchase new computer equipment, but we have our research and our photos. Gratitude, gratitude. Oh, oh my goodness, yes. I am so sorry, Kathy, that uh, your house was robbed, but I am so glad that you didn't lose the most important part of your computer, what was on it. And I sure do appreciate you sharing uh, your experience with us. You know, you guys, we've heard this before. The way to keep from losing copies of anything is to keep multiple copies in multiple physical locations. Now, Kathy mentioned robbery, but another common scenario that would take out all of your in-house computer storage is a natural disaster. A flood or fires like the ones that recently plagued uh, Carmel Valley out near where Kathy lives. And I certainly hope, Kathy, that you weren't affected by those as well. 
In fact, just a few weeks ago, as those fires were raging in California, I was uh, giving a seminar and my husband got a call from his best friend who lived up in Northern California and his house was completely destroyed suddenly in one of the fires up there. Uh, it was incredible. He said, you know, we, we thought we were behind the lines and all of a sudden the fire jumped and it was over and we could only snatch what we had at our fingertips. And it's, it's hard to imagine that these things really do happen. But it's a lot of work to back up everything yourself. We have more and more files than we've ever had before. And to do that on an ongoing basis is really tough. And to keep distributing all those backups to multiple physical locations, because it's not going to do you any good if they're all in the same location, right? Because if that location goes, you're still done. A cloud-based backup service does all this work for you, both the backup and the off-site storage. It's all automated. And as you know, here at Genealogy Gems, I trust Backblaze. That's one that Kathy mentioned. It's our official cloud-based computer backup service. Do your homework. Find out what's right for you. But I did my homework, and I am really, really pleased to recommend Backblaze here at Genealogy Gems. It's less than five bucks a month for the peace of mind and security that your computer's contents will always be safely stored and available for you to retrieve from their secure online vault. I encourage you to check them out, and uh, they have some great deals over there. Go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. That lets them know that we sent you. And we so appreciate Backblaze as the official sponsor here at Genealogy Gems. They help make this Genealogy Gems podcast free and keep it free for all of you. And like I said, they have a great $5 a month. It's about $50 a year. And um, they have fabulous security encryption. In fact, there's a two-step system that you can put in place now. So no point to wait. And for me, the kicker was... Other services were always making me manually back up my video files. They separated them out. And so even when I thought my whole computer was backed up, those videos that I was sending over from my my phone (laughs) that I'm taking with my iPad, they're not getting backed up. Or the videos that I create for you here at Genealogy Gems. So Backblaze takes care of all of it and it's automated. Head to backblaze.com slash Lisa. You'll see my smiling face and you can learn all about it. And finally, after listening to the most recent Genealogy Gems podcast episode, Bill wrote in with this great comment. He says, I was very interested in listening to podcast episode number 183, since one of its major segments dealt with the preservation of old photos and videos. For the last three years, as time permits, I've been scanning my and my wife's family's old photos, mainly black and white. This is still a work in progress tried to do a good bit of reading about this subject on the internet before I started. Also attended a genealogy seminar in 2009 where one of the presentations covered digital photo preservation. Based on what I've read and heard, the so-called experts generally appear to recommend using the TIFF file format versus a JPEG or GIF or PNG or BMP for capturing and retaining any photos that you deem valuable or important. This decision seems to be driven by the lossless nature of the TIFF, which is .tif, that format versus the lossy nature of other formats. There's no question that a TIFF version of a given image is substantially larger than its JPEG counterpart, too. Since the choice of a file format is a pretty basic and important aspect of the digital preservation process, I was surprised it wasn't mentioned in the podcast or associated notes. 
After exploring the Larson Digital site for a while, I located a page there that compares the various file formats for photos, videos, etc. And uh, I'll have the URL in the show notes for this episode. It'll take you over to that page on Larson so you can check it out just like he did. And I loved hearing from Bill because he's absolutely right that the TIFF is generally preferred over a JPEG. And we've talked about that quite a bit here on the show. And it's for just the reasons that he mentioned. Kristen Larson and I didn't cover that in our conversation kind of due to the time constraints and the fact that we've covered uh, the advantages of the TIFF over the JPEG several times before in past Genealogy Gems episodes, like in episode number 57 with Sally Jacobs, the practical archivist. Uh, And that's still available for free online. We'll have a link to that one in the show notes as well. Kristen and I kind of focused in on talking about image resolution, because this is a specific area that we really hadn't covered as much. Uh, One of the challenges with a JPEG file, as he alludes to, is that when you pull up a JPEG file and you make changes to it, let's say you're fixing, you're using a photo editor to do some corrections to an image. Each time you save it, you lose just a little bit of quality. And that's that lossy that that he's talking about. Um, versus you can correct and alter a TIFF, resave it, and you lose nothing. It stays at the same quality. And just a reminder that Genealogy Gems coupon code for Larson Digital is still good, the one we talked about in that episode. The code is GENGEM10. That's a a rhyming one. (laughs) G-E-N like Nancy, G-E-M like Mary, 10 all together. And it's good for 10% off the services like digitizing your old photos and your family videos and any film reels that you might have over at Larson Digital. So you can visit their website, Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N, digital.com, or call them at 800-776-8357. You can also email them at info at larsendigital.com and make sure you send them that code, get your 10% off. Well, thanks to all of you for writing in and uh, coming up next, I have an open letter to Grandma. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad who knows that we are winning and I'll bet he's glad for more than any other a line from my old mother. Bring me a letter from my hometown. You know, I always advise people to keep their master family trees at home on their own computers, not online. The family tree software I recommend is Roots Magic, and I'm pleased to announce that Roots Magic 7 is out, and it's better than ever. Now, what do I love most about this new update? It's got to be the automatic hinting feature. It's like Google Alerts for genealogy websites. RootsMagic now automatically searches sites like FamilySearch and MyHeritage for possible matches to your tree. You're going to see light bulb hints appear whenever a match is found. Clicking the light bulb will open a web browser with matching records. They've got new accounts that let you easily publish and maintain multiple trees online, whether publicly or privately. And data management is easy with the new data clean feature that helps you quickly find and fix possible problems with names and places. 
or use the file compare feature to look at two different trees side by side and transfer information between them. These are just some of the dozens of new enhancements. You can give it a try right away with no risk with the free edition called Roots Magic 7 Essentials. So what are you waiting for? Go to rootsmagic.com. You'll see pretty quickly why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic. There's a lot of talent out there in genealogy gems land, and recently I came across a charming blog post by gems listener Amy Bowser Tennant. It's called Open Letter to Grandma, and you'll find it at rootsbid.com slash blog. Amy shares some of her thoughts as a genealogist about the legacy left behind by her elusive grandmother, and she has graciously agreed to allow me to share it with you. Open Letter to Grandma by Amy Bowser Tennant Dear Grandma, I'm writing to share with you all that has happened as a result of searching the family tree. I also want to thank you for making me a careful and thorough genealogist. I don't think I could have become one without you. I particularly learned a lot from trying to figure out how old you really are. It was naive of me to expect you to give your correct age to the census taker anyway. No dignified lady should tell anyone her true age. And while we are at it, it is no one's business how old your kids are either. Now, figuring out who your parents were, that was a trial. Did I say trial? I meant to say the most fun ever. It was particularly amusing that your kids did not seem to know what your maiden name was. Way to keep them guessing. Kids are so nosy. They just never know when to stop asking questions. Anyway, I was able to confirm my suspicions of your parentage with DNA. I was happy to fork over the few hundred bucks on DNA kits to do so. It was pocket change, really. Oh, by the way, I found your marriage record. Not the one for you and Grandpa. The other one. No worries, since you obviously forgot about it, I added it to the family book. I almost didn't find it since your maiden name was spelled wrong. I mean, seriously, that clerk must have been on something that day because Creech doesn't look like wit. (laughs) It's almost like he heard you wrong when you told him your name. Cousin Joe suggested that you might have lied about your name. I punched him in the nose. How dare he call you a liar? I know if you did give the wrong name, I'm not saying that you did. It was out of love for me. You always wanted me to learn and work hard. (laughs) Thanks, Grandma. I want you to know how much I appreciated you filling out all that paperwork for the 1893 Act of Congress. Those five civilized tribe applications for enrollment into the Cherokee tribe were filled with genealogical data that I could not find anywhere else. Sorry you and the kids were rejected by the commission. I know they were wrong about you, Grandma. Anyone who has seen your picture with your dark skin and high cheekbones could tell that you were the Indian princess you always said you were. (laughs) Just a few more things. We had some bad news. Uh, The diamond ring that you left me, well, 
The jeweler said it was a fake. Now, obviously, he took the real diamond out and replaced it with that piece of glass. By the way, who is Avon? We took the kids to see your gravesite last month. <laughs> it was a hoot trying to get the van up that mountain. <laughs> we were so glad that you decided to be buried in the pasture. No one would ever think to look there. <laughs> your tombstone is totally safe from vandals, and it was a particularly good idea to have that bull guarding the area. <sighs> Grandma, I really miss you. I sure hope wherever you are that you are enjoying the journey, just like me. All my love, Amy. Oh, P.S. The, the family Bible with no names in it? Priceless. I'm still trying to figure out how to get the invisible ink to show, but don't worry. I love these little games you left me. for the Genealogy Gems Book Club. And of course, that means we need our book club guru, Genealogy Gems contributing editor, Sunny Morton. Hi, Sunny. Hello, Lisa. Uh, now, I know that you are absolutely bursting to tell us about what we're going to be reading for the next Genealogy Book Club section, because of course, now is the fourth quarter of 2015. But Sunny, I just don't feel like I'm quite done with Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> You're not ready to let go of her yet, are you? No. no you are I, a huge fan. I am. And it's so funny how it's come out. Uh, I was talking to uh, Allison Dolan over at Family Train Magazine, and she's like, oh, I'm so jealous you went to Rocky Ridge Farm. And I did. I got to go to Rocky Ridge Farm in Mansfield, Missouri, which was uh, the home, my goodness, the last 40 or 50 years of her life. And that's where she retired and where she wrote the little house books. It was incredible. So tell me a little bit more about that. You mentioned it on Facebook, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about what really moved you from that visit. Well, you know, I have to say, having read all the books, obviously, and then you go and you read Pioneer Girl and you get some of the more adult version of her story and you get a lot of the the back history, you know, and all those footnotes and endnotes and annotations. It was just fabulous. But I got to tell you, it just was shivers up my spine when I, I walk in the door of the farmhouse well, actually, first, you go into the museum, and they're building a big, beautiful, brand-new museum just around the corner from Rocky Ridge Farm. But uh, you first head to the location where the farmhouse is, where the one that she, that Almanzo built, which was just okay. amazing. You look at it. How does this guy, you know, and he had suffered from diphtheria, and he had a partial, I think his, lame, his leg was a little bit lame, and he'd had a stroke. So this man built this house. It was amazing. And attached to it is a museum that looks like it was built maybe in the 70s or so. I don't know exactly when. Um, but you walk in the door, and there's Pa's fiddle. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean it was Pa's fiddle, and it's up in, in this beautiful glass case. And then you start turning the corner, and you see the original Carte de Vista photos of the photos you've seen on websites. 
<laughs> There's nothing oh, better cool. in person than on a website. And um, like the little china box that she talked about, you know, that she was given as a gift, and there it is sitting there. Or the quilt that she made. They had her very first sampler that she stitched in a little house in the big woods. What is it about these artifacts that some, you know, we read the stories and we imagine and they seem so vibrant and real, but then we see an artifact. What is it about the the material object that really makes it so much more alive for us? It's like it taps on your brain and says, hey, by the way, this person was real. I mean, this is, that's what really struck me. I know she's real. You know, I've I've read all about it, but just to see it was just like coming to life. And I realized that um, that goes back to something that I'm always talking about on the podcast that I think is key, is that we need to create physical structure around the stories, around the documents and the pedigree charts. And even if you have nothing but a copy of a photo, print it out, put it in a frame, you know, add some some substance, put real things in your home. So when people walk in, your home says, uh, I put my money where my mouth is, you know, right. and, and that I, I surround myself with this sense of history. If you're fortunate and have wonderful items, that's great. I know sometimes I even go to, to vintage stores and pick up things that represent something my, that my ancestor did. My aunt actually gave me a fake heirloom. I showed you that, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. awesome because we went antiquing together and she mm-hmm. found this. I have it next to my desk. I'm looking at it right now. She found this little sewing kit that she opened. No, it's a little manicure kit. Just opening it here. And the manicure kit looks just like one that my grandmother had that my aunt oh. remembered. Um, yeah. Remember from when she was young and she picked it up and she gave it to me and she's like, it wasn't really hers, but that doesn't really matter. This looks like what she had. <laughs> she bought it for me and she's like, there, there's your fake heirloom. <laughs> but it made something to me. Like I, but partly because my aunt gave it to me, mm-hmm. but partly yeah. because it does connect me to my grandmother. This is like something she had, exactly like something she had. So I'm okay with a repro. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, when you walk into the the museum, and not only are there all the small artifacts and everything, they still have the wagon that she and Almanzo came in when they reached Rocky Ridge Farm, which unbelievably small. It's incredible <laughs> that they were in this wagon. But what really struck me besides the fact that these were real people was you got a sense of Laura's heart in that this woman managed to hang on to all of these things. And she stayed in touch with people in her family enough that many of these things were not originally in her possession, but they eventually came to her. And they just represent to me the fact that she was the keeper of the story in her family, that um, in a sense, she put her money where her mouth is. She surrounded herself and hung on to things that spoke to a different time. And it was clear she had to have had the foresight to understand that this was her history and that they had meaning. And she really saw the disappearance of the Wild West and um, felt that it was important to retain it not only in physical possessions, but in stories. And I just, it was so inspiring. It made me want to kind of come home and dig out a couple more things that I haven't put on display or sit down and jot down some of my own uh, thoughts. And it was neat. Bill was with me, my husband, and he hasn't read the book. Okay. But he was so taken with the house and you could, he was like, you can see the way Almanzo was thinking about what he could see if he put the window here. 
You could see that he wanted to nestle her books around her in this corner so that she would always have not only her writing desk, but what she loved to read. It was just neat to see him picking up on uh, the man of the house, uh, as Laura would call Almanzo, his sense of how he cared for her uh-huh. and created her environment. And I think I'm going to talk, I think I'm going to be able to talk him into reading one of the books. That's <laughs> neat. Well, I came home from that trip in speaking at the Ozarks Family History um, genealogy, the genealogy conference, and I sat down and I read Little House on the Prairie in a day or two, and I had forgotten how it was so much about Pa building the log house and the details of what it took to actually dig a well and how Ma and you know was involved. And yes, some of it is fiction, but it's all based in truth, and that's the beauty of Pioneer Girl is it gives you that basis in truth that uh, that the books were all on so it was just it was a fabulous experience and get this my final treasure was I I had to scramble through the bookstore because they were like okay we're making our way up the road to the rock house which is the house that uh, her daughter Rose purchased out of I think it was a Sears and Roebuck catalog and had built for her it's a beautiful um, house just up the road, but we only had like five minutes. So I raced and ran through the bookstore because I had to buy stuff because we were on a time schedule. And one of the things I picked up was a, uh, was a CD and it's called Laura Speaks. And for the first time, got to hear her voice. Really? And it's interesting that with all the, the WPA and how they sat down with people and they did interviews and they recorded that they didn't, nobody really did that with her except the local librarian in Mansfield who knew Laura well. In fact, it sounded like the way she said it was that Laura would come in each week, once a week, and visit with people and sign books and things. And somebody from California had sent her reproduction little dolls that she, they had made to represent all the characters in her family, and even Jack the dog, you know. And they had the librarian invited Laura to sit down, and she's probably 80 years old at the time, to comment and thank them for these gifts. And thank goodness, the librarian had the foresight to ask her about each of the characters. And was Ma really like that? And how did Pa really, uh, did he sit or stand when he played the fiddle? And just little details. And uh, to hear her voice was was really exciting. That's neat. Yeah. So I, I'm going to take that over to my daughter, Vienna. She'll love it. And it's interspersed with... Uh, I guess twice a year they take Pa's fiddle out of the, the case and they have an expert fiddle player in the area play it. So they've recorded some of that and that's all intermixed. So it was a wonderful experience. And, of course, you can go and visit um, Rocky Ridge Farm on their website. We'll have a link in the show notes to that. And the CD is off to Vienna's house because she read all the books. And it's funny. Well, you know my daughter, Lacey. Uh-huh. She's been on the show. Bill asked her, so did you read all the books too? And she's like... Vienna read all the books. I was so independent. I wasn't going to read the series that mom was reading or that mom loved as a child. You know, there's always one (laughs) who says, well, if mom did that, then I'm doing the opposite. But uh, she came away from me sharing the experience saying, okay, I'm going to go read the books. (laughs) That's neat. Yeah, it was was wonderful. We had a wonderful time. Well, that's awesome. We got a little, little bit of a travel log out of that one. Yeah, well, it was a wonderful wrap-up to a, a wonderful third-quarter book, and I still encourage everybody to, to go and pick up and take a look at Pioneer 
But I'm, I'm thrilled to say that uh, we have a new book, and you're just the one to tell us all about it for the fourth. You know I am. I'm really excited. So our next Genealogy Gems book club pick is Citizens Creek by New York Times bestselling author Lolita Tatami. Oh, fantastic. So you... Maybe you've read or heard about her previous novels, Cane River and the sequel, Red River. Um, yes. Cane River was an Oprah book club selection. Mm-hmm. So I read these a few years ago. I read those ones, and I really enjoyed them. So I was super excited when I heard that she had this new novel out, Citizen's Creek. And then I was even more excited when I found out <laughs> I'd get to interview her for the Genealogy Gems book club. And she oh. did. She was really pleased to, to talk to us. So I've just recently recently recorded that segment with her and I look forward to bringing that to everybody in a couple of months you'll get to hear that Um, but that's the book Citizens Creek by Lolita Tatami fantastic you told me that you were going to be talking with Mm -hmm. her I just thought Cane River was one of the few books um, that after I bought it and I read it I kept it (laughs) you know that was that was a shelf space book you know that I wanted to hang on to because I knew I would want to read it again and uh, her storytelling technique is just riveting tell us about Citizens Creek okay so it is a novel but it's mm-hmm. also, it's based on the lives of real people. And we here at Genealogy Gems love novels like that. Yeah. Um, they just really bring the past alive. So I'll, bra- I'll read you the book summary from the author's website. This is, Citizen's Creek is, the evocative story of a once enslaved man who buys his freedom after serving as a translator during the American Indian Wars and his granddaughter who sustains his legacy of courage. Cow Tom born into slavery in Alabama in 1810 and sold to a Creek Indian chief before his 10th birthday, possessed an extraordinary gift, the ability to master languages. As the new country developed westward and Indians, settlers, and blacks came into constant contact, Cow Tom became a key translator for his Creek master and was hired out to U.S. military generals. His talent earned him money, but would it also grant him freedom? And what would become of him and his family in the aftermath of the Civil War and the Indian removal westward? Cow Tom's legacy lives on, especially in the courageous spirit of his granddaughter, Rose. She rises to leadership of the family as they struggle against political and societal hostility, intent on keeping blacks and Indians oppressed. But through it all, her grandfather's indelible mark of courage inspires her in mind, in spirit, and in a family legacy that never dies. So this is a novel. Why did you choose this book for the Genealogy Gems Book Club? You know, at first it was really all about the history. I love to read about experiences I know nothing about. Um, Mm -hmm. And both a Native American story and an African American experience all in the same book. And the history, especially taking us through slavery and the Indian removals into the post-war era and after slavery, like that... To me, that kind of story, bring it on. I want to, I want to about um, something that I know. You know, I know these are sidebars in my history books in my mind, right? The, the, um, the removal of the Indians and the slavery. Well, what did that mean? How did that translate into the lives people were leading? And 
interestingly, how did they intertwine? Because it wasn't just the Indian experience and it wasn't just the African-American experience. These are intertwined stories. But then after I got into the history and I love the history, the character stories become a lot more personal. They're very relatable and they are very obviously about family, about relationships, about legacy. This is an intergenerational story. How so? Well, you know, I've talked a little bit about Cow Tom and then his granddaughter, but you're going to see the connection. You're going to know Cow Tom as a 10-year-old, and you're going to follow that story through a couple generations until his granddaughter Rose is a grown woman. And so you see how his experiences shapes him and then what effects this all has on the next generation and the generation after that. We see how Rose particularly looks backward to her grandfather, script generation, for inspiration and support and guidance to see how best to manage her own present and how to think about the future. So she is backward looking and forward looking and the most recent couple of generations are really important to they're, they're kind of her springboard to the future. So I'll share a very specific example of this from the book next month. I'll share a couple of passages about Rose, specifically Cow Tom's granddaughter. She eventually becomes the keeper of his most important secret, and that's a really big deal. Oh, it sounds fascinating. We know that she's a, a fabulous writer. This is going to be a big winner, I think, I think with, so. with everyone in the Genealogy Gems Book Club. And of course, to get a copy of the book, you can head to the show notes for this episode. We'll have a link, and we'll also be blogging about it. You can click um, Book Club. We've, I've just added Book Club to our main menu on the website at genealogygems.com. So be watching for Sunny's blog posts about that. And, of course, if you decide to pick up a copy, whether you get an ebook or you pick up the paper copy, we always so appreciate when you use our links because that helps support and keep this free show free so we get to talk about fabulous books like Citizens Creek. Oh, wonderful. Well, we will look forward to checking in with you next month and hearing some of those specific examples you teased us with. Thanks so much, Seth. <laughs> I'll be back. You know, now that I've moved to Texas and what they lovingly call Tornado Alley, I'm more aware than ever that if anything ever happened to my genealogy files, I would be devastated. And boy, have my files expanded since I started this research at the ripe old age of eight years old. As genealogists, we don't just have paper files anymore, but we also have digital files like our genealogy database and precious old photos that we've spent hours scanning. No matter where we upload our family tree or anything else relating to our family history on the web, the responsibility for the total safety and security of our files lies with us. That's why I'm so proud to announce that Backblaze is now the official backup of Lisa Louise Cook and Genealogy Gems. For the past few years, I've been researching and I've been test driving backup services and hands down, Backblaze is my choice. It's certainly the easiest service to use. And I love their free app that allows me to access all my files on my smartphone and my tablet. Plus, it backs up everything, including my video files. Yikes, I didn't realize before looking at Backblaze that other services skip over backing up videos. 
So don't wait another day to ensure that all your files are safe and secure. Back them up like I do with Backblaze. Head to backblaze.com slash Lisa and scroll down. You'll see my smiling face there and a great offer. Just 50 bucks for a year's peace of mind and the best cloud backup around. Go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. Our sponsor for this episode is MyHeritage. Now, I know that you tune into the Genealogy Gems podcast because you know that I'm going to carefully vet the products that come across my desk. And I'm only going to bring to this show the ones that I really think are the real gems. Well, MyHeritage.com is in that category, and I couldn't be happier that they've signed on to support and sponsor this free podcast. I've spent the last several months really digging into my heritage, and I found some powerful tools that I think you really need in your genealogy tool belt. First of all, they have over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. Get your tree posted on their website and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but genealogists around the world. Then there's MyHeritage's unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. It constantly calls 5 billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It's also the first to translate names between languages. And I personally like that the matches from the historical newspaper collection at MyHeritage, they show up towards the top of the results list. So visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. Hello, Genealogy Gems listeners. Diane Southard here with some suggestions for those of you who have dabbled in genetic genealogy but feel you're coming up empty-handed. If you've begun your genetic genealogy journey, you are not alone. Over one million people have had their DNA tested for genealogical purposes, and that number is climbing fast. If we were able to survey all of those who have been tested, how many would answer that they are fully satisfied with their results? I think the level of satisfaction we feel with our genetic genealogy experience has everything to do with our expectations going in. What did you expect going in? Many are drawn to genetic genealogy by the pretty pie charts and maps that reveal our mix of ancestral heritage. If they are expecting a nice addition to their coffee table pieces, they're pleased. If they're expecting a crystal ball into their ancestral heritage, they are often disappointed. Likewise, when you see a second to fourth cousin on your match page, you may have every expectation that you can figure out how you're related to each other. But when that common ancestor remains elusive, many fear that the test is not helpful, or worse, inaccurate. Recently, we heard from Jenna on the Genealogy Gems Facebook page. Jenna has followed the autosomal DNA testing plan perfectly. She tested first with Ancestry, then transferred her results into Family Tree DNA. She even went the extra step and uploaded her results into GEDmatch, a free third-party tool. And yet, she feels she hasn't made any positive connections. 
For anyone in this situation, there are two explanations and two next steps to help set good expectations for your genetic genealogy experience. First, you need to know your own family history. If your family is not from the United States or have only recently emigrated to the United States, you will not find very many matches in the databases. This will change as time moves on and genetic genealogy gains greater exposure and acceptance in other markets. If you do have ancestry from the United States but are still coming up empty-handed, it might be because you happen to be the pioneer in your own family, the first to jump into genetic genealogy. While one million people is a lot of tested individuals, I am consistently surprised by the number of people I meet who have never heard of using DNA testing in genealogy. Unfortunately, both of these explanations just require patience to be resolved. But while you're waiting, here are two tips to get the most out of what you have. First, as our Facebook friend suggested, start with a goal. In her case, she is interested in her paternal grandmother's father. Anytime you're researching a male, if you can find his direct paternal descendant, a living male with his surname, you should have him take the Y-DNA test. In the absence of, or in addition to that, having as many descendants of your ancestor tested as possible will help you fill in the genetic gaps that naturally occur as DNA is passed down. But short of throwing more money at the testing companies, you can search each database by surname and location to look for others who might share these genealogical characteristics with the individual you are looking for. My second tip is to focus on your closest genetic match and use all the available tools to investigate your relationship. This will involve using the common matches tools found at Ancestry.com, Family Tree DNA, and GEDmatch. In this way, you can find multiple individuals that may all be related to you through a single common ancestor. You can then use their knowledge in genealogies to look for overlapping genealogical information, like surnames and locations, to help you identify your shared common ancestor. Most people that I talk to who feel like their DNA has left them empty-handed are just simply not aware of how to use the tools and clues at their testing company to tease out information from their matches. That's why I've written these genetic genealogy quick guides that do take you step-by-step through your results to make sure you're making the most of your DNA test results. You can find my guides under the store tab at genealogygems.com. I also offer customized DNA guidance like the help I've been giving Lisa, which she's talked about in her free weekly newsletter. If you're interested in a consultation, you can find me through my website, yourdnaguide.com. So to Jenna and all those like her, hang in there, be patient and persistent. Genetic genealogy is a great tool. And like any good tool, it takes practice to learn how to use it. so much for joining me for genealogy gems podcast episode number 184 after i wrap this up i need to go pack my bags i am off again i was in uh, niagara falls last weekend with the niagara county genealogical society and 
And this weekend, Bill and I are heading to Lincoln, Nebraska. I have never been to Nebraska. I'm looking forward to checking it out. I actually met somebody in Niagara Falls last weekend who was from Lincoln <laughs> telling me how lovely it is out there. So we're looking forward to uh, meeting with the Lincoln-Lancaster County Genealogical Society and doing an all-day seminar. We are going to talk Google and cold cases and newspapers and Google Earth, and it's going to be fun. I hope that you will uh, check out all the places that I travel to on my calendar. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can get to it also through our main menu on the website through seminars and see where I will be. Maybe I'll be in your neck of the woods. And of course, I hope you're getting the free newsletter because we always have the upcoming presentations listed there as well. And lots of great information. You don't want to miss the newsletter. So if you're new, if you've just kind of found the Genealogy Gems podcast, you got to hang out with us all week long. Each Thursday, the free newsletter comes out. So head to genealogygems.com, sign up at the uh, top of the page, and we'll get that out to you. You will join us and be a gem. And I want to alert all of you premium members. You know, we have our Genealogy Gems website premium membership if you're not a member, come check it out. Uh, you can find more information on our website. But if you are a premium member, I hope that you've had an opportunity to take a look at the brand new video that we've just uploaded. It's added to our collection, our growing collection of over well over two dozen different classes that we've got on video. And this new one is inspiring ways to captivate the non genealogists in your life. Oh, boy, what could be more important than that? captivating them, giving them a sense of why all this matters. Hey, we don't have to turn them into genealogists. We just want them to understand and appreciate what's available in terms of information about the family, the legacy that it's given all of us. And that's why we're here. And I think also it's really critical that we we do inspire and captivate these non-genealogists so that they'll hang on to our stuff, right? When we're gone, we want our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and nieces and nephews, somebody out there to um, appreciate it and understand the work that went into it and the fact that even if they are not going to be the next genealogist, they could be what I call the transfer person. I was talking about this in a recent class that um, it seems like the person who gets kind of um, passionate about family history, it, it seems to jump generations. Have you noticed that? It's like... It's not cool to do what your parents do, right? <laughs> so it's like every other generation. It's like one generation, there's the rabid genealogist. The next generation, there's a transfer person. This is the person who inherits it, takes care of it, and passes it on. The next generation, you end up with a rabid genealogist in the family, and they're thrilled to receive it. And then, of course, their descendants, not so much. You're looking for a transfer person. The people who pass it along... They're just as important as the people doing the research. And they're more willing and interested in being that person for us if they understand the value. And they're excited about what they're seeing in the stories that you're telling and the mysteries that you're uncovering. So check it out, premium members. It's a fun one-hour video. I've got a handout for you that you can download with all the instructions for the things that I talk about. And um, if you have ways that you're inspiring the people and kind of captivating the people in your family to kind of get it, 
why family history is cool and, and at least worth knowing about. I hope you'll drop me a line at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com because I love to hear your ideas and I love getting pictures of your projects and things that you do, um, ways that you've kind of sprinkled the family history throughout your home so that when people walk in, they know what matters to you and you matter to me. So thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.